0: Let's start off singing Magnificat this morning. This is one where the ladies start singing and then we start stacking in parts as we get through the song. Let's sing together. My soul magnified,
1: my
2: and welcome. I'm Phil Jackson, one of the elders here at Preston Crest, and it's good to see every one of you this morning. We want you to take this moment to check in. The, uh, the number is behind me that you can text to. You can also use the uh, pew card that's in front of you, and that has instructions. If you're a first-time visitor, We have a very special welcome to you. We are so glad that you were here. And uh, we ask that you would take that pew card and fill that out and take it to our information center in the back. And we have a special gift for you because we are so glad that you are here today. Just want to announce a couple of things as we uh, as we start our worship. One is I want to highlight last week the Together for Other group had uh, a, a dinner and this is a wonderful ministry for people who are engaged or thinking uh, uh, about marriage and uh, hooking them up with some uh, mentors. Kathy and I have been involved with this ministry before and have developed some great relationships. And what a great way uh, to start a life together. And then uh, this, this series of courses and relationship with mentors. So thank you, thank you, Gary Cohorn, for heading this effort up. And then I want to mention our evangelism conference that's coming up in February. We're just six weeks away from the Telling the Story conference. Uh, we know everyone is very busy, uh, but your presence is a gift and a sacrifice. And here are just a few of the many reasons why this conference will be worth your time. There's going to be some great teaching from, uh, from people here at Preston Crest and from all around uh, the area. There's edification for Christians. Uh, from from people all around the country. There's learning and dreaming together. Child care is provided, and there's a commitment to bringing others into the saving arms of Jesus. Why are we keeping this wonderful news to ourselves? So this event can't succeed without your support, and so uh, the conference is for all of us. This is not just for church leaders. This is is for everyone to spread the good news. Uh, And so if you have any questions, please contact Jacob Hawk. Here are the words of the Lord from Luke 1:46 through 49. We just sang these words. From Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we enter into this holiday season, we are mindful that so much of the world is reminded that you came to earth as the baby Jesus. And Lord, help us to spread the good news now and throughout the year, for you have done so much for us. Your grace in sending Jesus to us, the way that you have empowered our lives so much that you have done for us, Lord, through the son, your son, Jesus. I ask, Lord, that you be with so many who are traveling, uh, that you would give them safe travels during this holiday season. And Lord, as we we visit with, uh, with family and friends, I just pray that your peace and joy would be in those relationships and those interactions. And uh, Lord, I would especially ask that you be with those that the holiday season is a tough time either because of tough relationships or because of loss or for whatever reason, the stress and the anxiety of the season. Lord, I pray your comfort on these people. Lord, guide us into righteous living as you modeled for us in your son. Jesus, here on earth, showed us the way to live. He did it perfectly. And Lord, we desire to live like he did with joy, knowing how to handle sorrow, a life of hope, and a life of love. We are in awe of your grace in sending us your Son, just like us, and just like you, and he is the perfect example to us. And Lord, may we have full hearts like Mary did in her praise for you and for your blessings and using us as your instruments to do your will. And so, Lord, be with us as we praise you this morning. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.
1: Oh, come, let us. Adore him.
0: sing one more song as we're entering into our time of communion, and then Jeremy Hammett will come and lead us this morning around the bread and around the cup. Let's sing. We
1: bless you.
3: also obtained okay,
4: start over now we have one point. <laughs> there, no, Tell them where you're reading
3: from I'm reading from Romans chapter five verses one through ten. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For a while, while we were still weak, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though f- perhaps for a good person, one would dare t- even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. since therefore, we have now been justified and by his blood. M- much more shall we be saved from him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Pray with me. Dear God, thank you for this day and help us to remember the bread that you broke for us and your body that you shed for us. And... Um, Thank you for everybody here today. And help us to remember the sacrifice you gave for us. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
4: So, I really uh, love that passage, and when John Scott messaged me asking to do communion, it's the first passage that came to my mind. It's one I think about a lot. When I'm able to focus with four kids in the pew, uh, it's it's a passage that comes to mind a lot. And a couple things about that passage. One is, um, talks about God's perfect time, right? It says, at just the right time, God did that for us. And then the second part is… In verse 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I think it's very human in the passages prior to that where it talks about maybe you might do something nice. You might uh, do something nice for somebody who's good, for somebody who's good to you. Um, Maybe somebody might die for someone that's good, but to die for the unrighteous uh, exemplifies the difference between a human and God's love. Uh, the sacrifice that he made for us when nobody, not one person that he died for was worthy of that sacrifice, but God still did that Um, and how powerful that love is uh, that he shares with us. And it's a good reminder uh, as I think about uh, that sacrifice and the communion, the time that we're sharing together, a good reminder to me that there's nothing I can do to be worthy of this. Uh, There's nothing that my son Braxton or my family, my kids, there's nothing anybody in here can do um, but God still did that for us. Let's pray. God, we come to you uh, again, and we thank you so much for um, putting this uh, re- reminder in place for us, uh, Started with Jesus when he broke bread with the apostles. And we thank you for um, that sacrifice that was made for us. When, when we weren't worthy, um, we're unrighteous, but you still sent your son to die for us treating us as children that you love unconditionally, no matter what we do, no matter the mistakes that we've made, no matter the baggage that we carry in here today. uh, Your love is poured over us, and your blood heals us. And we pray that you help us to remember that during this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Jesus, 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 there's just something.
5: Christmas. So glad that you are here to worship with us today. If you're visiting with us, if you're a guest, especially glad that you're here. I'd love to meet you afterwards. I'll be out in the foyer after church, or you can go ask questions with one of those smiling faces at the information, uh, the Welcome Center after church, but we are glad that you are here. Um, If you are interested in giving this morning, you can do that through the website, the Give button. You can do that through church teams, or you can drop cash or check in the box out in the foyer. so many good works that God has has allowed us to be a part of. Uh, And, I mean, Braxton, Jeremy, thank you for that communion thought today. What a great reminder of how big and different God's love is. And I was thinking uh, this week about... Uh, along those themes, just the work that we've been doing with Muslims, and it's not because we've been strategic about it or, hey, let's target this group or anything. God just keeps opening doors, and we're going to hear a video in a moment about the work that's going on in Ghana, not our work with the children and teens at Village of Hope, but with uh, folks in the Muslim northern part of Ghana, and then there's a lot of other works uh, from Athens, Greece, to other countries, uh, that <laughs> that we're doing work with in Muslim parts of the world because God loves everybody and God wants to share the story of Jesus with everybody. So let's bow our heads and thank God. Uh, God, we are thankful for your love for sinners like us. And we are thankful that your love is for all people. For God so loved the world. Your love is so great. And Lord Jesus You tell us in Luke chapter 12, to whom much has been given, much will be expected, and we have been given so much. So we're thankful that we get to partner with you in work here in our community and way outside of our community. And we pray your blessings on your work done through your church. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
6: Hello Press and Crest, I'm Lance Acheson. On behalf of the Ghana Outreach Committee, thank you for your support. While many of you know of the work with Village of Hope, did you know our work expands to the northern parts of Ghana, including Tamale, Yindi, Saboba, and Bump Perugu? Your contributions make it possible to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to these predominantly Muslim areas. With your support, our missionaries and partners have brought nearly 1,200 souls to Jesus Christ. We can't thank you enough for your generous support. Now, here's a message from our missionary, Nipak Lar.
7: Hi, Preston Christ. I'm Richard Nipak Lahr from Ghana, Northern Region. With the support of Preston Christ Fellowship, we've been able to build a lot of churches into the villages. We have, over the years, trained preachers and still on training more. Among other things, we have done over the years have really been wonderful, such that many projects have been completed and some are yet to be completed. Preston Grace Fellowship have really been a wonderful support to us, and a lot of things that they have done
6: inspired many churches, preachers, and
7: their wives, congregational needs and many other things that, to Preston-Crest's partnership, we have achieved here in Northern Ghana. We are so grateful to you, Preston-Crest.
6: Thanks again, Preston-Crest. If you would like more information, please contact a member of the Ghana Outreach Committee.
0: that is such a great work. And now, as uh, one of the weathermen says, here's what's going on a little bit closer to home. We had a foyer full of toys, bags, bicycles, you name it, we had it, and we gave it away. Thank you to so many of us who, uh, who showed up to help load up and deliver and, uh, and love on these families. Uh, I didn't get a picture of the crazy chaos that we had going on. It looks, you're going to see a lot of, a lot of us standing and standing around and visiting, but trust me, it was, it was wonderful. A lot of work went on, right? Leibs, we had, uh, a lot of good, uh, a lot of good fellowship and, and loving on these people. It was great. Hey, um, thank you. Thank you so much for blessing these families. We, uh, we have a candlelight service also coming up. One of our families that came to the building to receive gifts asked me, when is your candlelight service? I saw the sign out there. And I said, it's 7 o'clock Wednesday. She said, is it in Spanish? And I said, no, I'm sorry. She said, that's okay, I'll be there anyway. <laughs> so I tell you what, church, Y'all come Wednesday night, bring whatever family is in town with you. Bring your neighbors. This is going to be a great evening here. Plenty of candles, plenty of singing. It's just going to be a great family-friendly event. All right, church, let's stand. We're going to send kids up to Children's Church. We'll sing a couple of quick ones here, and then Dr. Dabb's going to come back up and
1: share with us. He is Lord me
5: A beautiful song. There's a couple songs where I just have to raise my arms in worship, and I don't, they just like automatically go up, and that's one of them. I just, just feel the need to lift my arms up and praise God. Um, hey, so end of the year giving, in case you're interested, uh, there's information on the website on the And We like to sprint to the finish. We like to finish strong here. You heard about one of our great works, or actually a couple, I mean, just now with all the toys going out that you've been a part of and the work and gone and so many works, so let's finish strong this year. And you said we were giving out bags and bicycles. I, I would have wanted my kids to get the bike rather than the bag, although they were hefty bags, so We gave state-of-the-art. Some of them were in bags. And we were here moving those bags around. And, man, those things were loaded with clothing and toys. And I mean, thank you for blessing our neighbors. Um, Thank you for that. Have you ever been reading a book and you just loved it or watching a movie and you're super into it? And then the author or director does something that kind of stains it for you or ruins it for you. I mean, you're like, why did they have to kill off the main character? Why did the jury have to return a guilty verdict? Um, Why was the hero surrounded by zombies at the end of the movie? If you like Will Smith, you probably know the movie I'm talking about. When it comes to the Christmas story, there are things that draw us in, and I mean, draw the whole world in, really, that captivate us. And there are other details that, biblical details, that sometimes get left on the cutting room floor, get edited out, don't make it into the abridged versions. And so we're going to go to the Christmas story for the next couple of weeks um, and we're going to go this morning, start out in Matthew and do a little bit of Luke this week, and we'll go back to Luke next week. But I think you'll see what I'm talking about, uh, because the common retellings of the Christmas story, they, they don't include some of the things that, that Matthew includes, very first chapter of the New Testament. the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew includes sex workers and an unwed mom, among other people in the genealogy. And the ladies that we're going to highlight here over the next couple of minutes are indispensable to the story of Jesus, really. There's a woman named Tamar, who Matthew writes into the genealogy because she was part of the genealogy of Jesus. Tamar worked in the industry at least for one evening. And through her and her father-in-law, Judah, the line of Christ would run. She was a vulnerable woman, powerless woman, ostracized by the family that should have taken care of her. But in an act of desperation and courage, she became part of the genealogy of Jesus and Matthew included her. And then there's Rahab, depending on your English translation. She is either called Rahab the harlot or Rahab the prostitute. Neither of one of those words is particularly noble. Neither of those words is something you would want someone to use to describe your daughter. But usually in the Old Testament and New Testament, she is called Rahab. And then one of those two descriptions is put on there, Rahab the harlot, Rahab the prostitute. And while some well-meaning interpreters have tried, there's probably another alternative translation we could use there. It's widely known among Hebrew scholars. Um, Those words describe her. Uh, Jewish scholar Dr. Amy Cooper Robertson says, to be sure, Rahab represents such marginality. Think underdog. Represents such marginality in several ways. She is a woman. She is a single childless woman at that. She is not a part of Israel. But one of the people of a city that's about to be conquered. And, of course, she is a prostitute. Tamar Kadari, not the Tamar we just spoke about, but another Jewish scholar, after studying historical rabbinical writings about Rahab, says this, The, the rabbis describe how Rahab was 10 years old at the time of the Exodus from Egypt. She engaged in prostitution during the 40 years of the Israelites' wanderings in the wilderness until the age of 50. But Rahab was more than a label, more than a sex worker. She was courageous, and she put her faith in the God of Israel, and the history of Jesus would run through her. By the way, this is interesting, studying this week and uh, learned that the rabbis believe in the ancient world the four most beautiful women in the world were Sarah, Abigail, wife of David, Rahab, and Queen Esther. Obviously, they had never seen Isla Dabbs. Yeah. So, You've got Ruth in the genealogy of Matthew as well. Ruth, oh, we love the story of Ruth. Remember, Ruth was a Moabite. (laughs) She was a foreigner, an outsider. Worse than that, Moabites were generational enemies of God's people. And it's interesting to think Jesus, the only begotten of God, had some Moabite in his DNA. If he took one of those tests on Ancestry.com or something, it wouldn't just be Jewish, would it? There's some Moabite in there. And it's how God works. Matthew included Rahab. Matthew included Tamar. Matthew included Ruth. But really, it wasn't Matthew, was it? It's God including these folks in his story. And each of these women found redemption. Each of these women found transformation. Each of them found themselves, really, when they were brought into God's story. The two gospels that really paint the picture of Jesus coming into our world. That's Matthew and Luke. They tell the stories of underdogs. They feature underdogs. Luke, more respectable and religious people. Uh, Matthew includes all sorts of people in his. Um, But they're both stories of underdogs and amazing people. And so if you think, by the way, if you think I'm just picking on the ladies this morning, it's just because I don't have the time to get into all of the men and the sordid details of their lives in Matthew's genealogy. So that was just a convenient way to kind of condense things today. But the real Christmas story, the story from the Bible, is a story of inclusion. And we need to not miss that. It's front and center that God is not just working through this group of people or that group of people. He worked through all groups of people to bring his son into the world, our Savior. Did God have to include sex workers in the story? Did God have to include someone from Moab in the lineage of Jesus? Did God have to write the three wise men, think foreigners, Arabians? Did he have to write them into the story? Did he have to include bottom of the social ladder shepherds in the story? I think we know the answer, but he did. He included them. And if we edit it, If we make the story more palatable, or I I wouldn't write that in. I would change that a little bit. If we we take all the sketchy people out of the story, then what are we left with? Uh, Not very many people. Not very many people. And many people who God included, we end up leaving out, as Paul once wrote, because this gets to the heart of God. Why would God do this? Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2 that God doesn't show partiality. He loves people. We show partiality. We do. We're more inclined to hang out with the Instagrammable, the famous, the attractive, the wealthy, the influential. And God came to rub elbows with all kinds of people. Just read the Gospels, right? So whatever your past, I would say, first off, be careful not to write yourself out of God's story when clearly, I believe scripturally, he's trying to write you into his story. And then the other thing I would point out from the get-go is those of us who would be more comfortable around the characters of, say, Luke's gospel, where they're more respectable, more religious people as part of the Christmas story, we need to remember God includes people who might not be so respectable. Uh, We need to be careful to look out for the marginalized and the poor. Those are exactly the kinds of people that God wrote into his story. And now bridging this account from Matthew over to Luke, both gospel writers make it very clear, God loves to use underdogs because it brings more glory to God. There's Gideon in the Old Testament, right? Gideon, who, who was this liberator of the people of Israel, but we find out from the beginning he was the least, he was the runt part of the most insignificant group, and he wasn't even a significant part of the most insignificant group. There's Mephibosheth in the Old Testament. This handicapped child who was not of David's family but was part of David's enemy's family. David invited him to live in the palace and to dine at his table for the remainder of his days. Phibosheth was written in. There's Joseph, there's Esther, there's a fisherman named Peter and other fishermen. They're all part of God's story. And our God, what he does is he shows off by selecting the underdogs through whom he works his plan and displays his glory. Jesus made this point. When he spoke to Paul, there were things that Paul desperately wished were different. Maybe there's something about you and your life. God, I just wish this were different. I would write this out of the story. And Paul prayed about that. And Jesus comes to Paul and says in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, to Luke's underdogs, more respectable underdogs, but underdogs nonetheless. Uh, We go to Bethlehem, tiny, insignificant village. Maybe 300 people, scholars say, around that time, 300 residents of Bethlehem. And there's this dark night somewhere outside of this village, Judean hills. And there we encounter this group of shepherds keeping watch over their flocks. And suddenly, boom, blinding light. You know, middle of the night and then blinding light. They're squinting as the sky is shining all around them. If if modern people saw such a thing in the middle of the night, you might think a nuclear bomb exploded. I mean, it looked like the noonday sun all of a sudden. And they were scared. Luke chapter 2. There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people." Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws lying in a manger. Now, when you visualize these shepherds, think teenage boys and girls, because usually in that part of the world, in that time period, that's who got this minimum wage job of watching the flocks. And so there in the middle of nowhere, this blinding light, the glory of God surrounds these people. They are naturally afraid. And the angel had news. Angels generally did carry news. The news was of God's son, the Christ, the Lord, being born that day. And the news, it wasn't delivered to Rome and the emperor it wasn't delivered to a CEO of some Fortune 500 company in ancient Israel. It was delivered to them. These simple young laborers outside of town think, I mean, maybe if it happened today, it might be the night shift at Taco Bell that got the news. I don't know. But it was, it was interesting who got the news first, wasn't it? The God of the universe wanted them These shepherds to hear first thing. The Savior is here. And this isn't just for you. This is good news for all the people. But you're getting it first. The announcement on which the history of the world would revolve, B.C. and A.D. That announcement is given to these shepherds. And I think words fail here. I'm just going to acknowledge the sermon. It kind of reaches a little bit of a linguistic end here because, I mean, it says they were, there was great fear. I, I think Paul just I don't, how do you describe all of the emotions at one time dialed to 11? They were terrified. But they hadn't seen anything yet. I'm reading this this week and I think they hadn't seen anything yet. They had seen one angel. They had gotten the message. And and after that message, we are told in verse 13, suddenly, like boom, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. (laughs) I mean, Luke does a great job. I mean, he tries. He does his best. But words fail. What a sight. What a multi-sensory experience there. Angels, by the way, of course. Angels have visited people. Mary got a visit from an angel. In the Old Testament, Sarah and Abraham got a visit. Lot got a visit. Hagar got a visit. But if you look through the Old Testament, for what it's worth, the most angels you ever saw in one place at one time, three. Okay? And here... Nobody could count. It's a multitude. It's an army of angels, a heavenly host of angels. And by the way, no one had ever heard an angel sing, as far as we know. They didn't hear an angel sing. They they heard the angel chorus singing. Verse fourteen: Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. And no single event in history has ever inspired so much music. We've got that first song right there. But according to Google, I checked this week, there have been 9,274 songs written about Christmas. Handel's Messiah, White Christmas, Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You. So many songs. But regardless of what's on your playlist this holiday season and what kind of, you know, beats headphones you've got or amazing surround sound system you have at your house, you and I we haven't heard anything like this. The angel chorus singing for those shepherds. So beautiful. So powerful. Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. So they're running at this point. I don't know if those flocks just got left out there to defend for themselves or what, but they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. You know, Lord, Christ is this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had had seen and heard as it had been told them. By the way, Mary, another interesting person. The story, innocent, pure, but you know, she was an unwed mother. God writes his stories differently, doesn't he? A Few things as we finish out this morning that I want us to think about from this story. The arrival of Jesus is good news for all people. It's good news. We're told right there, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people, right? In a world where we divide up, you know, it's us, it's them, it's our group, it's their group, it's the haves, it's the have-nots, it's the connected and those who aren't so influential. God ignores, thank you God, he ignores all of our hierarchies and all of our separations and he sends a savior to everyone. And then God's love is demonstrated by the fact that he came in person. That's the second thing I would point out. There had been scriptures written, prophecies given, people visited by angels. A lot of ways that God communicated his love. But in the Christmas story, he comes in person in the form of a baby. As amazing and glorious and eye-catching is the angel army, that's not the Christmas story. They are the message boys. They are bringing information. The story is is that baby. You're going to find that baby in Bethlehem. And then that God shared the third thing. God shared his story and still does through regular folks. Like these first little missionaries or these, these shepherds. You know, they're, they're, they're bringing news. They're, they're sharing the story. They go to Mary and Joseph and the people around that bird and they share and then they leave glorifying and praising God. They just can't keep it to themselves, right? And I hope that describes us today at Preston Crest. I hope that we love the story so much and we have been so blessed and changed by God's love that, that we share the story as well. I hope that describes us. I hope we follow the lead of those shepherds. And by the way, if you are wondering how do I do that? we got a conference coming up in early February, so be part of that. And so this is a story where the lowly are elevated where the spotlight shines on this group of underdogs. And God throws off all of the expectations and he comes into the world wrapped in weakness. A baby born to a relatively poor Galilean couple. And there in that manger is all of the hope of a lost humanity. Think about that. Angels are awesome. They aren't the focus. It's this seven pound three ounce or whereabouts baby. That's the focus of the story. God in human form. Hmm. The Apostle John. I thought about this this week. And I wondered if he was thinking of these events when he wrote. Theos agape estin." God is love. For God to do that for us, God is is love. The Prince of Heaven, born in Bethlehem, born to a poor family. He would grow up in the land of Zebulun, Nazareth, carpenter's apprentice, and we all know how this thing turns out. It, in some ways, it doesn't turn out, or it looks like it's not turning out well, as the people he came to save reject him and put him on a cross. His is the ultimate underdog story, isn't it? The story of Jesus. His death brought life to the world. What looked like the end was just the beginning. Three days later, he was resurrected. And now because of him, we have hope not just for this world, but we have hope for life everlasting. So I would ask you this morning, what about you? I think that's the question that needs to be asked. God is including this person and this person, all kinds of people. What about you? Have you said yes? Have you allowed God, who desperately wants to include you in his redemption story, have you allowed him to involve you, to write you in to his story, to call you his daughter, his son, to call you his child? You can wear that story in baptism. Putting on Jesus as your Christ, as your Lord. And we can all share that story, can't we? Maybe we need to ask for prayers today. I don't know what your situation is, a struggle, a success, a celebration. Come pray with me or Phil or pray with somebody around you. Pray with me in the lobby after church. I mean, let's let's pray. Let's be a people of prayer. Our God loves us. He listens to our prayers. He works through our prayers. But whatever else we're going to do today, let's make sure that we praise the name of our great and glorious God. Let's stand together now and let's praise God. Oh,
1: come let us adore.
2: Great day to be a Christian. It's great to worship with all of you this morning. I just need your attention for a couple of announcements of things that are coming up. Of course, tonight we wished uh, that many of you would come back tonight for our Sunday evening service at six. As John Scott mentioned on Wednesday night, we have our candlelight service. And then uh, the next two weeks, a special schedule on Christmas day, uh, which is a Sunday this year. We'll just have one service at 1045. You're at the right one. So come to this one next week, no classes uh, next week. And then on January 1st, we'll have another special service to start the year. Again, just a 1045 service, no classes uh, and no evening service on those days. Join with me in our take-home verse from 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Go in the love and peace of God.